WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 158, all about the Silmarillion, chapter 18 of the Ruin of Beleriand and the Fall of Fingolfin, being the 158th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I'm reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today I am joined by Callie Cosplay of TikTok. Welcome! Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me, MC. I'm excited to have you on. Um, a few of my recent guests, though I can't remember specifically who, but a few of them were like, you should check out Callie Cosplay. <laughs> they do a um, podcast with Nubeta. And sure enough, you did. I was like, wait a minute, how did I miss this person? Um, so so I'm glad that so many people were like, you need to reach out and, and see um if they'll come on so well i'm glad you did um and yeah so the podcast is brand new so don't feel bad if it hasn't been on your radar yet we just have uh 10 episodes out um but yeah it's called voices of arda um and it's and as you said it's with uh new better do better from tiktok yes wonderful former guest of this podcast um i've hit up i think everybody on the tolkien <laughs> talk you side really have i looked at the list of your episodes and i was like wow this is my entire twitter follow list this is yeah exactly here. <laughs> and i am honored to be among them so thank you i'm again. like uh <laughs> gonna run out of of people very soon so oh i'm sure we can find some more people for you <laughs> that's when i'll just loop back around to the beginning so um i've been doing pretty good actually i really wanted to try and get as many new people on without repeating guests which um i love when guests come on again but i do like to get some new folks on um so i'm personally pretty proud of myself that I've made it pretty far into the Silmarillion. I think I've only had one or two people um, as Silmarillion guests who had been on before. So um, I'm, I'm glad that there are so many new people to, to connect with. And like, I feel just when I felt like, oh, I've totally exhausted all the possibilities of like, nice, like cool Tolkien creators <laughs> to, to collaborate with. And then more people just keep you know, showing up and doing things. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and um, from our community, I can think of a good handful of people that I can refer to you. So that should help oh, perfect. keep your Silmarillion readings going for a little while. Yes. <laughs> um, although I did threaten on Twitter today that I was going to just drop the Silmarillion altogether oh. <laughs> and do an episode covering the um, 1970 original Lord of the Rings screenplay by, let me look it up, John Borman um, adapted Lord of the Rings in 1970 and it involves like like Galadriel and Aragorn, I think, make out or, or oh. Gimli or like it's pretty wild. Oh, and I wow. wanna I actually wanna do I wanna get some people together and do like maybe a reading of a couple different scenes. That would be, be fun. So, so if I just stop the Silmarillion all of a sudden <laughs> to do <laughs> or, this completely yeah. Do it for like a palate cleanser, you know, and then keep going. Cause it does like we're about halfway through at this point and it, it I'd like to say that it gets better. <laughs> That's the thing. Everyone 
everyone keeps telling me they're like, oh, it gets better. And I'm like, I'm on page 150. Yeah. Like, it should be better. At what by point now. am I going to feel happy about these stories? Never. Like, it's, yeah, exactly. I'm like, um, we're running out of time for it to get better. And also, I should say, we don't, we're also running out of time for, for me to do any sort of palate cleanser weeks. I did one week during um, Pride Month, but aside from that, I, I really have to stick to the schedule now because currently the way my schedule is laid out, we will finish all of the chapters, the numbered chapters, and then um, the the show comes out. Okay, so you'll and be... And then I have to jump into... Co- which is ironic that I'm not going to read the Rings of Power section before the show comes out. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, like, are you covering it right before or, like, during or at the beginning? No, but it's fine. I, fine. I procrastinated on starting the Silmarillion, so this is what I get. And also, you know what? No, in my defense, Amazon Prime took forever to release... <laughs> Any kind of, you know, premiere date. So, I like, I had already planned out a lot of fun stuff, none oh. of which I regret doing. I, I regret nothing. Um, but we will, there are, I don't even think I'll be able to do two-parter episodes anymore, which I'm kind of worried about this episode and the next chapter and maybe even the one after that because they're all potential for two-parter episodes but we don't have time (laughs) we have to read the Silmarillion and then we have to watch the show oh my god I can't believe it's almost here okay so so much (laughs) rambling it'll be great let's just we'll move along with it it'll be great (laughs) Callie first tell me and the listeners um, about your introduction to Tolkien and and Lord of the Rings um, or maybe it was through the Hobbit or the movies how did you get introduced to Tolkien and what was your experience like with the Silmarillion? (laughs) Uh, So I started, uh, I don't know where it came from. It was just on my bookshelf one day, the trilogy, and I picked it up. I was, I don't know, probably, probably 10 or 11. I was very young and I just read it. And I read the second book and the third book. And then I read them again and I read them again. And I read them so many times that the bindings of like the, the back cover are, are just like hopeless. I'm, I'm, I'm actually afraid that pages are going to start falling out of it soon. Um, mm. So, yeah, I just I just couldn't put them down. I couldn't stop reading them. Um, and then it was probably... I don't know, I was probably more like 15 or 16 when I picked up the Silmarillion and read it for the first time and absolutely hated it. And I went around telling everybody that it just read like the Bible or like Genesis from the Bible. And you've got son, son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, son of. And I was like, ah, I'm never reading this book again. Um, But then, you know, I read the trilogy and then I... Just was always looking for Tolkien things to read, so I read the Silmarillion again, and then it made a little bit more sense. And then I read it a third time. <laughs> and sucker for punishment over here, and and that's when I don't know. Finally, about the third or fourth time, it became my. It went from like my hated book 
to my comfort book somehow. Wow. All these, and it still is. Like, I don't go anywhere even for a night away without my copy of The Silmarillion. Um, Now, I don't read it cover to cover anymore. I tend to just read, you know, sections of it that are feeling um, relevant to what I'm going through at the time. Yeah. You know, at the time. You don't don't mean the chapter where Tolkien just describes a map? (laughs) The maps. Oh, the maps chapter. You don't find that deeply comforting (laughs) and and you don't connect to that material? (laughs) Not as much, no. So there is still a lot that is a slog and even in this chapter when they start just naming oh family trees and stuff like, oh my, my brain just glazes you know and but that's okay that's okay because what like if you're someone who really wants to memorize all of that lineage that's fine you can do that but if you're someone who wants to get the spirit of a story you can just skim over those and and, and get back to like the good parts. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I th- I say that's okay. I'm sure there were people who will tell me that that is not okay, <laughs> but but I I, mean, I say that's fine. I think you should yeah, do what you can that's to the get only way enjoyment I am, like, out of this. Book. <laughs> mentally capable of reading it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was listening to old episodes and I'm just loving how much you hate them. <laughs> Because that's definitely how most of us felt about it the first time. Yeah. Like, I I really do want to emphasize that, like, I came into this with a really open mind and was like, okay, yeah, this is a bit of a slog. It's a lot. But, you know, I see. I I get it. I get it. And then um, the map chapter broke me. And then since then, I've just been like, you know what? No, I don't have to pretend anymore i don't have to hide (laughs) no no yeah we get it it's fine even if you have the map with you and you're looking at it during the map chapter it's just oh Uh, so impossible yeah (laughs) Yeah. impossible oh which by the way i don't know i made a tiktok about it but i don't remember if i um shared it on the podcast but as i was packing up my stuff for a move uh which by the way listeners this is my first episode in my new apartment yay um og listeners will remember a year ago when i moved and my first episode that i recorded in that apartment um there was a a leaking gas stove and my roommate came in and was like do you smell gas and i was like maybe um (gasps) so fun memories oh my gosh well i'm glad you're out of there (laughs) yes um anyway um what was the oh yeah as i was packing up um i picked up i have a like hardcover it's an it's technically an illustrated edition of the Silmarillion, but not in the way that the um, Harry Potter books have illustrated editions where like the illustrations are like really part of the story and whatnot. It's more like it's a couple, it's more like a chapter and then like a page of an illustration from someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so Probably it is Alan really Lee. beautiful, but like it's not, it's not as cool as it sounds. Anyway, I was picking it up and felt something at the back of the book and I open it up and there's this giant map of Beleriand that you can take out of the book and you know it unfolds and like it's actually you can actually read it because like the print isn't tiny and I'm like seriously I just discovered this now like this would (laughs) have really come in handy a couple weeks ago but uh no um the Tolkien gods just don't like me I guess I don't know (laughs) 
All right, so yes, uh, enough uh, of us, of our fun chatter, even though I could probably do this for like another half hour. Um, Let's dive into this hefty chapter, um, as the title, I think, gives away, of the ruin of Beleriand and the fall of Fingolfin. No! (laughs) Just like a lot of spoilers in there. And I I think the first five pages could just be the fall of Fingolfin, the first yeah. uh, four pages or whatever it is. And then the rest of it could be the ruin of Beleriand. And I think you could even divide it up further into different chapters because mm-hmm. so much happens in here. But I feel um, like this could be a three-part, three-part yes. thing, which, which you guys will see as we move along through it. But Yes. It kicks off with... Um, Describing the Morgoth situation, um, which is kind of funny to me, and it is a little bit crazy that um, everyone's just kind of like living their lives in Beleriand, and meanwhile, there's this like 400-year-old siege going on in the north with um, this like Lord of Darkness, and they're all just like, yeah, we're just not going to... It honestly... I imagine it feels very similar to living in um, current day United States. Oh my. <laughs> you're just going about your life with this like foreboding sense of like impending doom hanging, hanging above you and touching every part of your life. And every now and then you have to be like, nope, I have to turn that part of my brain off and just... Just keep moving on, you know, with my work day or, or whatever. I would say, so I'm I'm actually Canadian. Um, and oh, you are? I, yeah, so I would say that it's more like us Canadians looking at you, the U.S., mm, and you yeah. guys are like the North. <laughs> you guys are like Ang Band, and, and we're looking at you and we're like, well, we're just going about our lives. Um, bad things are happening over there across the border, and we should probably prepare for them. Um, but, but that's, I don't think we're gonna, I don't (laughs) think we're gonna go to war with Canada, but then again, stranger things have happened in this country (laughs) in the last two and a half years, five years, 10 years, I don't know. So you never know. Let's not write it off. Um, (laughs) so that's how I feel um, about it anyway. (laughs) Okay. So just like, just know that the majority of the people of of Americans and also for any other non-American listeners out there um none of us are happy about this current situation just in general so uh don't think that a lot of us are complicit uh and that like we chose this none of it's good okay anyway so <laughs> going back to <laughs> this complete work of fiction that reminds me nothing of real life um so yeah, Fingolfin is kind of like maybe we should do something. Like maybe we should start preparing for a war, you know, a war cuz like we've kind of been in this siege for hundreds of years. Um but the majority of the Noldor and everyone else are like, "Nah, man, life is good. Like why would you mess with things when for the most part everything's peaceful?" Um and so they just kind of like let it go. They just kind of like, go, again, go on with their lives. Um, it says, For the Noldor did not yet comprehend the fullness of the power of Morgoth, nor understand that their unaided war upon him was without final hope, whether they hasted or delayed. Mm-hmm. So whether or not they start, they're, they're in for it and they don't even know it. 
Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. A lot of hope there. Yeah. <laughs> it mentions that Morgoth, meanwhile, has been, uh, the malice of his heart grew greater and his hatred of the Noldor more bitter. So he's just seething. He's just been sitting there seething um, oh, for yeah. 400 years. <laughs> just stewing, just stewing up a little hate. Hate crime. <laughs> that is what yes. he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so much so that he's like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to war. Um, so he kind of plays, it, it, it kind of says that he started, he like came out in full force a little bit sooner than he should have. And that if he had fully waited for his forces to strengthen um, to their fullest potential, that he probably would have won everything. Um, but he was so bitter and, and hateful of the Noldor that he was like, I'm I'm tired of waiting. Let's, let's go for it. When I read this, um, the first thing that I thought was like, this is the big difference between the two big baddies that we talk about between Morgoth and Sauron. Because, like, when I read that, the first thing that I yelled in my brain was, like, Sauron would have waited. Sauron would have won. You know? Mm. I don't know if you if you had that thought at all. <laughs> um, No, but now that you say it, that definitely, like, checks out. That makes sense. Because that's, I mean, that's what we see Sauron doing in um, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, he waits until the ring has, you know gotten to Frodo to kind of like start putting things in action that um and he very nearly almost won then mm-hmm. so except by yeah chance. definitely yeah. yeah um however just like the Noldor didn't necessarily understand what Morgoth was capable of um Morgoth also didn't fully comprehend mm-hmm. um the the strength of of the elves and it says of men he took yet no account which is hilarious um also same <laughs> so then winter comes and morgoth comes out full force um he sends rivers great rivers of flame down the place. So remember, listeners, Aang Band is at the very top. It's uh, of, it's not on the map. It's north of the map. <laughs> um, it's at the very top. And he sends these great rivers of flame down and it burns everything. Um, it burns the, the plain of Ard Gallon and it stops at, um, I think it's like a mountain range or a forest called um, Dor- Dorthonian. But mm-hmm. I always look at it and I almost say, in my head, I read it as Dorth Onion. <laughs> and now I'm thinking of Darth Onion and now I'm thinking of Star Wars. And Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so it stops there kind of just north of Doriath. And then I forget the name of it, but that like creepy no man's land that everyone's like, nah, we don't go there. I love that. So this plane is called the gasping dust. And I love this sentence. Many charred bones had there their roofless grave. And throughout the, I've pointed it out before and will throughout the rest of this chapter too, Tolkien is particularly great at describing like destruction and hopelessness and darkness. And like that is such a vivid, um, like it's a beautiful sentence, but it's also extremely dark and, and terrible. Um, that there are all these people who were killed 
the charred bones Mm -hmm. and then roofless graves. So they are going to lie there forever because none of their people are going to be able to come and, you know, find them and give them a burial. It's just going to be this plane of just just bones everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like think like post Pompeii, post Vesuvius type of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, actually, I was, um, throughout all of this, I was kind of thinking of, yeah, like a volcanic eruption. Mm-hmm. Po- yeah, Pompeii. And um, v- exactly. Yeah. Um, and this battle is the fourth battle, Dagor Bragalak, <laughs> the Battle of Sudden Flame. I, I heard you love pronouncing things from the Silmarillion. Yeah, I kind of just stopped caring. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I'm also like, why did we need to name it that? Just the Battle of Sudden Flame. There we go. The Battle, yeah. Why do you have to? What I like is when you listen to the audiobooks, they always overpronounce this. It's Dagor Bragolach. They really put that emphasis on it. It it really does. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of the language did come from like Welsh um, sort Mm -hmm. sort of origins, so... So I have noticed a lot of the a lot of the names can have that kind of pronunciation spin on them, but yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I just love hearing this in audiobooks because they so overpronounce it. It's so extra, so extra. And then <laughs> I usually I, I give it I give things just the worst American pronunciation ever. <laughs> and then um, I live in Virginia, which. I don't know if it's the South or the North, depending on who you ask. I mean, it's not the North. Depending on who you ask, Virginia is <laughs> not a part of the South, and it is. Oh, but yeah. I definitely have some Southern drawl to my voice. And so sometimes I'm just like, yeah, um, Dagor Bragalak. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, Tolkien would just love that pronunciation. <laughs> or you just call it, let's just call it the Dagger Brag. <laughs> the dagger brag. The dagger brag. <laughs> Start, I started nicknaming them. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> then comes Glaurung the Golden, father of dragons, in his full might. So um, uh, rewinding a bit to the end of the previous chapter, there's a paragraph I made fun of that was just the epitome, the son of blah, 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 the son of, the son of. And it mentions that one of these people is... Turin the Bane of Glaurung. Yeah, Turin the Bane of Glaurung. That didn't stick out to me, but then when the drag, I was like, I don't know who Glaurung is because I had forgotten and I had to go back to another previous chapter. Glaurung, um, I think it was in the Return of the Noldor chapter, emerges as kind of, he's kind of like a baby dragon <laughs> that um, Morgoth had created in Angband and he gets too excited, I guess, to go see the world and he reveals himself before he is um, fully grown and so he gets defeated and goes back to Angband. Um, so here he is again reappearing in his full might. So there's a giant dragon. In his train were Balrogs and behind them came the black armies of the orcs in multitudes such as the Noldor had never before seen or imagined. So we got rivers of flame. We got a dragon. We got Balrogs. We got orcs nothing good is happening to say the least no and like you have to also appreciate the like the sheer territory that this is taking place over like this isn't just 
a little corner. It's just like in the north, pretty much from east to the west, right? In the within yes. that mountain range. So, like, this is the scale of all this destruction is cannot be uh, <laughs> like ex- expounded upon enough. Really, this is this is not this is a bad time. This is a bad time. Yes, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, <laughs> and this is the worst of times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, all of that stuff is going down. The this is, ends the siege of Angband. Everyone, like the Noldor, the Sindar, everyone who survives this, um, who was in the north, scatters. And that's kind of also just the general theme of this chapter is that everyone is separated. Everyone mm-hmm. um, is either um, forced from their territory or they have to go somewhere else and, and flee or they have to stay there and fight, but they're brother left so everyone is just separated and weakened some go to doriath where thingle and melian are some go to nargothrond um that finn rod no finn one of the Finns. <laughs> i don't remember which one let's see so this is like our first body count of significance um the sons of finarfin angrod and agnor I never pronounced his name correctly, um, were killed. Rip, rest in peace. But we never really, like, knew much about them anyway. Like, we never got too close of a look at them. Um, So um, they are the brothers of Galadriel and who's the other one? I think Finrod. No, Fingaunt. Again, one of the Finns. (laughs) So Finafin is Galadriel's father and Finrod is her brother. Finrod. Okay. Finrod is the... Okay, that's right. Bregolus dies... Which I just think is funny because the first mention we get of someone named Bregolus is two <laughs> pages previously. And I still think it sounds like a ship name. Yeah, yeah, it does. So Bregolus dies. However, he has a brother named Barahir. Barahir is now, I think, the the leader of the house of, of Beor. Mm-hmm. And he goes to meet Finn... Finrod. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to meet Finrod, who is like fighting off demons, whatever, <laughs> um, near Nargothrond. Helps them get out of a a, me- a big mess where he likely would have died. Finrod swears an oath of friendship to Barahir and offers aid um, with whatever he wants and he gives them a ring. I don't know if that ring has significance in the future, but there you have it. What's the deal with this ring? Why is it so important? Why are we dedicating five paragraphs to this ring? What is up with Uh, that? It is a very important ring, and it features also in the trilogy, so in the movies. (gasps) Is it? (laughs) Is it one of the elven rings? It it isn't. It isn't a ring of power. It's the ring that Aragorn wears. Oh. So this is the, the beginning of the story of that ring, which predates the rings of power, like the elvish rings. So yeah. th- so he's wearing um Aragorn is wearing a ring and it's got um t- two snakes two heads of snakes on it and and an emerald. So, yeah. 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 Um yeah, okay. so that's the ring. So this is a very important ring indeed. Okay. Insane details like that tucked into all of this madness. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the east side, so there was this huge plain where that was completely destroyed. And on the east of that is Hithlum, um, that Fingolfin 
and Fingon kind of have reign over together. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have a battle, and it's not looking great. And then it mentions um, Hador, (laughs) the golden-haired dies and i'm like okay that means nothing to me (laughs) he's a man that's all i know and his son galdor the tall took lordship yeah hithlum remains unconquered um but it says fingolfin was sundered from his kinsmen by a sea of foes so even though like they're still holding their own again everyone's been scattered and separated okay and then on the oh wait no when i said hithlum was east i meant it was on the west side. Sorry, yeah. Don't worry about like <laughs> directions. Okay, now going to the east, where the sons of Feanor have been and the March of Maedhros and all of that jazz. They were also taken by assault. Kelegorm and Kurufin flee. They totally just cheese it. They leave all their people yeah. there and they just cheese they it because they're, they're a bunch of cowards. They're a bunch yes, of cowards and, yeah, and we don't yeah. like them. <laughs> they go to Nargothrond and it says it would have been better, as was after seen, if they had remained <laughs> in the east among their own kin. Yeah. Yeah, they're not good guys. You will, so, yeah, you will they, get to they, enjoy they, them more in coming coming chapters, I'm sure. Save their own necks at that <laughs> moment. Yeah. Maedros. What a guy. Um, it said he did deeds of he did deeds of surpassing valor, and the orcs fled before his face. For since his torment upon Thangorodrim <laughs> his, his spirit burned like a white fire within, and he was as one that returns from the dead. Dang. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I had spent what was it, like thirty years? Chained yeah, to, I forget. He, he was yeah. there for a while and he was, yeah, chained. Yeah, for um, a hand. reminder for everyone, he's chained by one hand to a mountain. And then um, either Finrod or Fingon, again, I don't remember which, one of them comes to save him and then an eagle comes and his hand gets chopped off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they had to, but <laughs> yes, I, I would probably be full of fire at that point also. Yeah. Again, this and that was also four hundred years ago. So you've had time. You've had time to to think about it. You know, <laughs> nurse that hand and get back to it. Well, the not hand, I guess, as it were. <laughs> Have you noticed that there's a, a big theme of people losing their losing limbs? limbs? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. So he is still fighting over in the east, and he holds his fortress, and he is able to close. Um, the pass of Aglon so that the orcs cannot enter Beleriand. Um, but that doesn't happen for long. Um, and Glaudon comes back. Does he? Oh, he does. Oh my gosh, I missed that. Oh. <laughs> for Glauron came thither and passed through Magor's gla- gap and destroyed all the land between the arms of Gelion, which is the, the river. So yikes. Maedros did his best. <laughs> but but a dragon. But a dragon <laughs> a happened. Fire Drake. Yeah. This is now the war spreading in, in um this fire and terror, it says, spreading into East Beleriand. Karenthir takes his people and joins Emrod and Emros, and they kind of relocate and flee to a different area. Retreat, that's the word I'm looking for. They kind of retreat to a different area where they meet the aid of the green elves and they are able to keep 
the orcs from going further east into Osirian. All of this, listeners, by the way, we're only on like page three of the chapter. <laughs> we're mo- we're getting there. We're moving along. <laughs> Bear with us. <laughs> All of this destruction and chaos is happening, and Fingolfin is looking around and he's like, "Well, this this is it." It says, "Then Fingolfin beheld, as it seemed to him, the utter ruin of the Noldor, and the defeat beyond redress of all their houses. And filled with wrath and despair, he mounted upon Rokalar, his great horse, and rode forth alone, and none might restrain him." It's been a while. It's been a minute since we had a good a, a good horse moment. So we get another mighty horse here. I love that Rokalar gets his own story in the appendices. By the way. They, they, You're they, kidding. He gets his own story where they talk about how after the next events happen, he, you know, outran a bunch of the uh, the wolves um, yep. of Angband and then gets home to Hiflum and dies of a broken heart. But it is. Oh my god! But it is written. It is written. Rokalor has. I mean, his own that story. doesn't surprise me that Tolkien would be like, "I gotta let the people know what happened to the, the horse." The horse has to have a story. Oh my god! Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not every horse can have a Bill the Pony uh, yeah, moment right? where, you know, they escape their terrible past and 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 then Sam comes up and, yeah, and saves you. Yeah. yeah, war horses don't have it that good. Oh, gosh. Um, so <laughs> he goes, Finn, Golfin goes and charges towards Angband and he challenges Morgoth to come forth to fight him mano a mano. In the most epic way. And Morgoth came, is what it says. Reluctantly. I also think that's possibly the shortest sentence Tolkien <laughs> has ever written. So epic. I think it's funny. It mentions that he's not underestimating Fingolfin, and he fears the Valar still and is wondering whether Fingolfin is being aided by the Valar. And of course, you know, he's seen the light of Valinor, so probably he has some of those powers in him or whatever. So he's not exactly like running out like, yeah, I got this. He pretty much goes out to save face yeah. um, uh, in front of the rest of his his minions. He's like, well, I don't want them to think I'm a bad leader. Like, I guess I have to go out. <laughs> we got to have contrasting colors. Of course, um, Morgoth comes forth clad in black armor and he stood before the king like a tower iron crowned. And his vast shield sabled, unblazoned, wait, and his vast shield sable unblazoned cast a shadow over him like a storm cloud. But Fingolfin gleamed beneath it as a star, for his mail was overlaid with silver, and his blue shield was set with crystals. And he drew his sword Ringle that glittered like ice. So again, gotta have those contrasting. Yeah, man, he showed up for battle totally, totally iced out. He was decked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. looking good. Mm. Gotta go out looking good at least. Before you get dressed every morning, just ask yourself: the- Do I want paramedics <laughs> rescuing me from a car crash potentially in this outfit? <laughs> like, Oops. would I be embarrassed? <laughs> Makes me think of grandma's advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If this is like the outfit that I died in, like, would I be embarrassed? Hmm. I say that I'm wearing a, it's technically like a Halloween shirt, but it has dancing <laughs> skeletons on it. That's excellent. And I'm like, 
I don't know if I would would or would not be embarrassed to die in this. Um. Anyway, they duke it out. Fingolfin's doing pretty good. Um, Morgoth has Grond, the hammer of the underworld. He's swinging it around, but Fingolfin is like leaping away. And every time he does that, the hammer like hits the ground and like cracks it open. Um, it mentions specifically that he wounded Morgoth with seven wounds and seven times Morgoth gave a cry of anguish. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's that's just like extremely specific. I wonder if that will come back around. I don't know. <laughs> a cry of anguish where at the hosts of Angband fell upon their faces in dismay. <laughs> so they just like, every time he screamed, all of his like, like little Ooh. peoples were just like, oh no, and like cowering on the ground and stuff. <laughs> um, but Fingolfin grows weary and Morgoth eventually gets the upper hand and strikes him down. It it says he put his, he uh, set his foot upon his neck and the weight of it was like a fallen hill. So I guess he's about to like, yeah, he's like crushing him to death. Um, Yet with, with his last and desperate stroke, Fingolfin hewed the foot with Ringel and the blood gushed forth black and smoking and filled the pits of Grond. That's, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go Fingolfin. Um, did he did he cut off his foot or uh, did he just no, stab it? Just just like sliced it real good. Oh, I, I thought but he I thought he chopped it foot. off. That's a lot of foot, though. So that's a lot of blood, I guess. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But he forever limped on that foot afterwards, so yes. that really hurt him. He got a permanent ouchie. <laughs> Thus died Fingolfin, high king of the Noldor, most proud and valiant of the elven kings of old. And I think this is really important to mention. Um, it says the orcs made no boast of that duel at the gate, and neither do the elves sing of it. Mm-hmm. So this is a battle that even though Morgoth technically won, they all kind of recognized that, like, it, you know... It was a hard fight, and Morgoth could have lost. Fingolfin held his own for a while, and it wasn't exactly a swift battle. Even though Fingolfin was very valiant and mighty, of course he died, so the elves are going to be very upset about this battle as well. Mm-hmm. And Fingolfin was much loved as well, right? He was the yes. high king, so yes, um, they're very sad. And he was also not Feanor. So. He's also not Feanor, yes, yes. <laughs> He so if you're choosing guy. between some brothers, one of them is Feanor yeah. and one of them is not, yeah. I would choose the one that's not. Yeah. But it's so sad. It's like the one time he gets uppity, he dies. <laughs> like immediately. Yeah. But oh well. It was about time. He had been around for too long anyway. Morgoth is about to destroy his body into pieces and throw it to the wolves. Rude. But Thorondor... The the king of the eagles mm-hmm. comes swooping in and like attacks Morgoth's face. <laughs> and so Morgoth's face is permanently scarred from this. Ah. He picks up Fingolfin and takes him to a mountain somewhere <laughs> where Turgon comes and builds a, a grave for him. And I just think it's hilarious that like coming from Lord of the Rings, the eagles like barely get themselves involved with anything. But they're involving themselves a lot in this time, in this in this period. So it's just yes funny to no, see. Yes and no, though, right? Because like, he could have shown up earlier. Like, this dude, is true. you could have, you could have, you could have stopped that from happening. But they don't. They don't like to don't. intervene. 
on that level. But at the end of it, he's like, okay, we're not going to add uh, insult to injury. We're just gonna, we're just gonna stop that now. And uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, but um, going back, so, um, if listeners heard us mention Grand, um, the hammer of the yes. underworld, it is not the same Grand that we see in the trilogy movies, mm-hmm. but they are named the same. So they are that named could be the same. Confusing. Yeah. Yeah. You might remember it from the scene where they're going Grand, 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 <laughs> yeah. Grand. That one, yeah. I needed the <laughs> subtitles on for that scene for sure. <laughs> yeah, here it mentions Morgoth went ever halt of one foot after that day, and the pain of his wounds could not be healed, and in his face was the scar that Thrandor made. So he's been permanently damaged from this battle. We will never forget it. So, of course, everyone's sad. Fingon is now king of the Noldor. He is the oldest son of Fingolfin. However, it's so it says his young son, Aranion, um, <laughs> Gilgalad, who mm-hmm. after was named Gilgalad, he sent to the Havens. What is that? What it, He sent the, him back to Valinor? Is that what that means? Uh, yeah, well, he sent them there to be safe, essentially. But how? I thought the whole thing is that they made this decision to leave and you can't get back. Uh, I think I should have probably looked this up, but the Havens is where they sail from to get to. So, like, the Havens are kind of on the edge of this world that we know it. And then, like, um, at the end of the trilogy, they meet at the Grey Havens, and that's where they're taking the boats. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. Meanwhile, (laughs) (laughs) this is when I was like, we could end the the chapter here. Yeah, so that, that, that was kind of like the first... The Art. fall of Fingolfin. Yeah. Great. Back in Dorthonian or Dorthonian, <laughs> the people of Barahir are still there. And they're like, nah, we're going to stay and fight. And we're going to do all we can. And they eventually flee into a forest that's very dark and creepy. And again, this is where <laughs> Tolkien's like descriptive imagery just really shines. And I'm like, this is creepy and wonderful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um so this is the forest under nightshade. The trees that grew there after the wait, the trees that grew there after the burning were black and grim, and their roots were tangled, groping in the dark like claws. And those who strayed among them became lost and blind, and were strangled or pursued to madness by phantoms of terror. Yeah. Dang. Tarnufuun is not a nice place. It's yes. not a nice place. So, um, yeah, this, these are like the burnt remains of, of the forest at the south of the plains that were destroyed by the fires. It mentions Barahir's wife, Emeldir the Manhearted? Yeah, how do you what like that? What does that mean? So rude, Tolkien. <laughs> like, the dude. Manhearted? Does that just mean she's straight and likes men? <laughs> No, <laughs> it means or that she's the heart of a man, the heart of a man. So uh-huh. to him, that means courageous. So it, courageous. I think he I'm says like, um, she would rather fight than flee. Yeah. And I'm like, excuse you, dude. Yeah, She's a woman, which Rude. means that she also has a that's that's also the heart of a woman. And I can point to several other female characters in this book that have that same mindset, too. He likes to do that. But like Galadriel's nickname is Ner- Nerdanel is Man Maiden. Because she participated in, like, all the feats of strength with all the other dudes. 
Like he doesn't he doesn't have to do that to the, yeah, the female like, characters, but he does. It's like, yeah, you're one of the guys. Yeah, and it's the, like yeah. Or I'm Galadriel. Or I'm just Galadriel <laughs> and women can fight too. But anyway, yes. yeah. Yes, what's her name? Emil Deer leads the women and children and leads them away into the mountains and they keep pushing forward until they get into Brethil, which is a part of, I think it's a part of the forest of Doriath, but it's not under the girdle of Melian, technically. I could be completely wrong about that, so don't quote me on it. Yeah, it's just north. Yeah, north of Doriath, northwest of Doriath, and not yeah. within the girdle. So they are taken to safety. It says among them were Ryan, um, oh, Rian. Dod- yeah. Rian, okay, there we go. Um, Rian, daughter of Belagund, and Morwen, who was named Elithwin, that is Elfsheen. Yep. <laughs> Just Morwen, great. Um, and I believe Morwen is the mother of Baron. Uh, one of these women, no, because Baron's already been, no, wait, hang on. Um, it's okay, I'm pulling up my family tree. <laughs> I think Morwen, a left one, was the mother of Turin Turambar. Oh, okay. I knew one of them was the mother of someone important. Morwen is the mother of Turin. Okay, but we don't know his significance yet. I just know that he eventually becomes significant because he has a chapter named after him. Aha. Most of them eventually make it to safety. On the other side, the people, the the men who were left behind, it was Barahir and um, 12 others, Baron, his son... Baragund and Belagund, his nephews, sons of Bregolas, and then nine of his servants, and he names them, and I don't care. And they become outlaws without hope, it says, a desperate band that could not escape and would not yield, for their dwellings were destroyed and their wives and children captured, slain, or fled. Dun, dun, dun. So they're just kind of like, yeah, I guess we'll just be outlaws yeah which i associate with like westerns you know like a cowboy or something you know an outlaw um and so now i'm just picturing them with um like cowboy hats and like old-timey like saloon guns and stuff and (laughs) i pictured more like robin hood so a bunch of like oh okay yeah I guess that's know, true a bunch of guys that's just like true. prancing about the forest you know okay there we go but probably not as much of a fun time not so much prancing <laughs> no probably not no also I can't remember if it's already been mentioned in this chapter or if it'll come up later but um throughout all this Morgoth is also capturing a lot of the Sindar and the Noldor and the men um and he'll like bring them back to i might be getting ahead of myself but i want to make sure i remember this uh, detail yeah um oh it's later okay cool um cool great so they're the outlaws the outlaws that's just what's happening remember that meanwhile (laughs) sauron comes up against oradreth and is this when i think he yeah this is when he takes minas tirith not to be confused with Minas Tirith. <laughs> yeah. We all, yeah, hate that he does that. Yeah. Um, which is a tower, like, on a little island in the middle of the river Sirion, I believe, um, that has been a stronghold against um, a, a watchtower to keep out, to, to watch out for Morgoth. Again, 
The descriptive language here, Sauron was become now a sorcerer of dreadful power, master of shadows and of phantoms, foul in wisdom, cruel in strength, misshaping what he touched, twisting what he ruled, lord of werewolves, which I just think is funny. (laughs) His dominion was torment. So he's really, he's, you know, he's climbing the, the Angband corporate ladder. Yeah, that's a swipe left. That's a bad profile right there. I'm going to put that in my profiles. I'm doing it as we speak. <laughs> my dominion is torment. Lord, lady of I werewolves. I am the lord of werewolves. <laughs> he overtakes Orodreth, who flees to Nargothrond. Then Minas Tirith becomes a watchtower for Morgoth. The island it's on becomes the Isle of Werewolves. Which, yep. like, did I'm sure Tolkien didn't actually mean how we think werewolves, like, oh, people who change into wolves during the full moon and are cursed people. But, like... He may or may not have been thinking that. I don't know. Like, it's so random. And it just might come up in island. later chapters. I don't know. Oh, my God. Okay, so... <laughs> It's just like a random detail that maybe he did mention earlier that Morgoth has also been creating werewolves in his, in Angband during the siege. And maybe he mentioned that or hinted at it and I didn't pick up on it, which happens a lot. They're getting closer to Doriath um, and they surround it essentially. That's right. Yeah. Here it mentions, yeah, many of the Noldor and Sindar, they took captive Also, Morgoth is sending out his spies to um, lie and, again, sow those seeds of deceit. And I just think this is hilarious. It says, um, with cunning words sought to arouse fear and jealousy among the peoples, accusing their kings and chieftains of greed and of treachery one to another. And because of the curse of the kinslaying at Alqualande, these lies were often believed. So it's like, yeah, you know what? That does sound like, that does sound like the Noldor, whatever Morgoth is telling, you know, the other people. They're like, you know what? I do believe it. But then it gets really sad for the people who did escape. Yeah, it gets really sad um, because they're kind of like within there. I I don't know if it's like mind manip. I guess, yeah, like manipulation and, and everything. It says they're released, but their wills were chained to Morgoth and they strayed only to come back to him again. Therefore, if any of his captives escaped in truth and returned to their own people, they had little welcome and wandered alone, outlawed and desperate. That was some, ev- some evil deeds there. Yeah, that, that, uh, and I think personally, this is, my headcanon is that that move is very smart and I think that Lieutenant Sauron put that idea in his head. I don't think that was Morgoth's idea, personally. Morgoth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that was... Morgoth is more the the brawn... Yeah, let's, the, just, let's the go! The and, and Sauron's yeah. the brains of the operation, yes, maybe. <laughs> absolutely, yes. That's what I think, anyway. Meanwhile, Morgoth, um, at first he feigns pity towards the men and is like... Oh, but if you listen to like if you let me be your leader, it'll be great. Hey. Um, but the men are like, no, <laughs> we we're not idiots. Like we can see what you're doing. Morgoth hates them, yep. <laughs> and he sent his messengers over the mountains. Now come the capital S swarthy men, <laughs> which like. 
I don't know how to interpret these men because when someone uses the word swarthy, I I guess I picture a, a pirate or like a lumberjack or something, you know, like someone who's strong and and big, but also maybe like handsome. I don't know. And so and like capable. But OK, anyway, so the men come over. These other men come over into Beleriand. Um, they were short and broad, long and strong in the arm. Their skins were swart or sallow. And so I did look this up, except I forgot to keep it up because I was like, okay, what? I want to make sure I'm imagining the exact thing that he is yeah. describing. Yeah. So I looked up swart and it said being swarthy. And I was like, <laughs> yes. that's not helpful. No, I know. <laughs> Oh, okay. Here, so this is this is where I've learned that swarthy just means dark skinned. Yes, yeah. I don't know why I'm imagining a pirate. <laughs> I mean, it's fair that they're probably also dark skinned because they spend a lot swarthy. of time. They're tanned yeah, in the very sun. Tanned, yeah. Swarthy, swarthy. So yeah, swarthy. so he's talking about dark skinned yes. people. Um, yeah. Yes, and then he also says sallow, which is a very like sickly word. Uh, sallow is old for also dark skinned. Yes. Yeah. Um, according to Google, of an unhealthy yellow or pale brown color. It just sounds like a pirate word to me. It I don't does. know why. Okay, I'm going to have to revisit that. A pirate word, yeah. <laughs> it sounds piratey. Um, <laughs> these men come over, and for the most part, people are like, I don't know about this. But Maedhros, being like a kind of stand-up guy, is like, no, like, let's be friends. Um, so he makes an alliance with them. In particular, their chieftains, Boar and Ulfang. And this was all as Morgoth intended. This is as he designed, because they are all supposedly under the word of Morgoth to come over here and kind of, um, I guess, distract the other men or the elves or something. But I'm kind of confused because it does say... Some were already secretly under the dominion of Morgoth and came at his call, but not all, for the rumor of Beleriand went now far and wide, and the wandering feet of men were ever set westward in those days. So some of them are under the the, the command of Morgoth, and some of them are just like, wow, how did I end up here? What a crazy land. <laughs> what an opportunity. Hey, let's go. Adventure. <laughs> the Edine, who are the three families of men that are like close friendship and alliances with the elves and the, the, the Noldor, the Edine and the Easterlings is now what these other men are being called, mm-hmm. um, do not like each other. So I guess this is, yeah, our first introduction. We have mention of Easterlings in Lord of the Rings, too, who are the men villains, the the men under the command of Sauron um, and fighting for his army and have iffy stereotypes and caricatures and and descriptions of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate. Yes. Um, but it's here and we can't ignore it. Um, yes. I, so I won't pretend to know the mind of Tolkien as he, in the time, um, that he was writing right. it. But, um, but I, I, yeah, I will say that a lot of people have really clung to these descriptions of the evil people being also happening to be dark skinned, um, mm-hmm. and have unfortunately used that in their, 
spicier rhetoric um, for gatekeeping Lord of the Rings. Yes. But I, I can't, I won't attempt to provide any kind of explanation or, or you know, cover up there. I mean, it's written and yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but using what he wrote then to justify now, um, you know, having not what did you say not so questionable or <laughs> not so unfortunate um stereotypes like, yeah yeah so like I, I just that's all I can say is that just because things were written this way then does not mean that we have to accept them now yay yeah <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah I I'm with you there that I that's kind of why I, I was just I'm like this is all very iffy because I um I I've I've wasted a lot of my time and energy with terrible people on the internet about <laughs> you know certain ways that Tolkien has written things and, and whatnot and sa- same as what you said where like I can't dive into his mind and understand like why he wrote it this way or what he intended or or all of that. Or if um, he would have changed it or what, right? Yeah. I think it's promising that, and it, it's so hard because I don't want to be like, oh, Tolkien was like an overt, an overtly like racist, sexist, terrible man. But at the same time, I'm also not, I'm never going to be like, yeah, what a woke king Tolkien was. <laughs> like, No, and it's okay. That's, I think that's, that's great. And it doesn't make you any less of a fan if you're critical of yes. certain things. Oh, I'm critical of everything. Um, <laughs> but um, I think it's promising of Tolkien's character that um, he later recognized his stereotyping of dwarves with um, Jewish people and later on tried to alleviate some of that and recognize and apologize and and fix it. But it was like kind of too little too late. But I think I think it's at least promising that like he recognized that of his own writing, mm-hmm. even in just that like small facet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he would have recognized that if it hadn't been for the atrocity of, of World War Two, you know, like was he only recognized? Was it only like shoved in his face because of the, the events of the world? And he was like, oh, maybe I didn't do a good thing there with the dwarves in The Hobbit. Maybe that wasn't my best moment. Um, but I think it's, yeah, at least nice that, that for at least one thing, he what he did take some moments of self-reflection. Yes. Okay, all right. All that fun <laughs> stuff. Let's, yeah, let's move, move onward. Um, always important to recognize and discuss and think critically when you're reading older works or you're reading books or, or watching movies or something, and maybe they have some iffy, iffy territories like that. It's always important to, to talk about it and discuss it, but you can always still enjoy it. I say enjoy enjoy it. This is like the most overwhelming, <laughs> depressing, <laughs> destructive chapter I've ever read. Yeah, that's right. The Edine and the Easterlings don't get along. I didn't take any notes on this part and I didn't highlight anything in this chapter, so I don't remember what happened. Um, all I wrote is that the people of Haleth rule. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's, that's right. Um, because I think the orcs are starting to come towards the borders of Doriath, but the people of Haleth promised Thingol. He was like, yeah, you can stay there in my forest, even though it's not technically my forest. Um, but you have to promise not to let the orcs in. And Haleth was like, do you think I was just going to like put up a sign and be like, Thingol this way? Like, did you think I was just going to let them in? And they 
do a really good job of defending the borders of Doriath and hold off the um, orcs. And they have a moment of peace and enough respite so that the kingdom of Nargothrond can muster its strength. Woo! Okay. Um, <laughs> in my notebook, I wrote, almost done! <laughs> We're on like the sort of like third to last page here. Are you lightheaded? Because I am. Um, so <laughs> Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. We're and who are. I feel like this chapter, it's, I mean, like the general arc of it is this disastrous, you know, uh, effect that Morgoth has on the, the Noldor and the land. But like mm. other than that, like that's the only connecting thread. It just jumps all over the place. Does, between like, yeah. and now we're here and now we're with the men and now we're with the elves and now we're back in yeah. the east. It's just and... like detailing a lot of skirmishes here and there. Yes. And there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so two of the sons of Galdor... This is so ridiculous. It's like four sentences describing their family tree just to say that they they went into battle. Like that's all that you need to know is that they went to battle. I don't even remember, but like they went out to battle and in in leading up to that point, Tolkien is like, um, they are from the two houses of the Edine that were joined when Galdor and Glorathel, the children of Hador Goldenhead, were wedded to Hereth and Haldir, the children of Halmir, Lord of the Haladin. <laughs> and so it was that the sons of Galdor were Bobble. And I'm like, <laughs> this is where younger me was like, is this the Bible? What the heck am I reading? <laughs> like, Why are we doing this? <laughs> the point of this, um, I think it's just to say that Huron and Huar are the result of the joining of the houses of the Haladin and one of the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember which one. They go off to a battle. And I think it also mentions that um, Huar is like 13 years old, <laughs> but like he still yeah. went off to battle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they would have been slain or taken. But for the power of Olmo that was still strong in Sirion, a mist arose from the river and hid them from their enemies, and they escaped over the Brith or okay, whatever. So they escaped because Olmo <laughs> stepped in. I guess Olmo's the only Valar watching over, being like, maybe I'll step in every now and then and try and help out. Yeah, he he's the only one who ever intervenes for yes. like good reason. Yeah. And we'll don't don't you worry, y'all. We'll we'll touch on what the Valar have to say about all this in a minute. Throndor, the eagle, has been watching all of this happen, and so he sends two eagles down to pick up Huar and Huron, and they are taken to Gondolin. And I was like, uh oh, isn't that like kind of a no no? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but Turgon is actually pretty excited to see them because <laughs> conveniently Olmo had been sending him dreams, <laughs> warning him of woe to come and counseling him to deal kindly with the sons of the house of Hador from whom help should come to him at need. So he takes, welcomes them in, befriends them, gives them a place to, to stay and rest up because um, they are children. <laughs> 
It's not like they're 13, they're 13 years old in like elvish years. No, they're, they're like 13. Yeah, they're children. They are children. They're straight up children. Yeah. Yeah. So Turgon takes them in and keeps them. It mentions that he keeps them in Gondolin out, um, out of love and not just out of this crazy law that he has that you either stay in Gondolin or you are killed. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, though, they say they're like, hey, um, we can't stay here forever because our lives are kind of short and I miss my family. I miss my friends. We got to go back to our people. Um, please, can we go? And they make the pretty fair argument that they don't know the way into Gondolin mm-hmm. because the eagles just dropped them off. That's right. <laughs> Turgon is like, yeah, sure. That that makes sense. That checks out. However, Maeglin or my Maeglin... <laughs> Maglin, um, who we had was that the pre was that even the previous chapter? Oh my god, so much has happened. Um, <laughs> where was that? Maybe that was two chapters ago. Maglin that was, was two t- chapters ago. Two oh chapters my god. Ago. Anyway, <laughs> it says he was not grieved at all with their going. <laughs> what a joke! And he goes over to them and he's like, "Just so you know, Turgon." He's shown you a lot of mercy and grace because his law about not leaving used to be pretty harsh. Yeah. (laughs) AKA my father got thrown off a cliff (laughs) rather than stay in Gondolin or leave. So y'all should be pretty thankful that he's just letting you go scot-free. So they swear their, you know, they swear to never reveal the counsels of Turgon and to keep secret all they had seen in his realm. And they really do for all their lives. They never break that oath. Yes. Not even to their wife. Yeah, they um yeah, they eventually reunite with their people and they're like Yo, what happened? <laughs> like, there's no way y'all were just out there in that, like, forest or whatever for, like, you were gone a full year. Like, what happened? And they were like, trust us. Like, don't ask, don't tell. You know? Yeah. Like, just just let's leave just, it alone. Just be happy we're back. And then they were. Yeah. It was like, no further questions. <laughs> Turgon has been, you know, obviously, he's aware of everything that's happening. Um, I'm sure when Huar and Hurin came to stay with them they told him more about what was going on since they pretty much all just like stay in Gondolin he is like okay this is really not good for us um let's let's see what we can do about that so he sends um some of the Gondolith Gondolinthrum Gondolinthrum the people some of his like soldiers of Gondolin some of his soldiers um, on like a little secret mission to the Isle of Balar and they are building ships and they're intending to go into the West to get the aid of the Valar. However, they don't make it and they also never come back. So yeah. whoops. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It says um, the seas were wild and wide and shadow and enchantment lay upon them and Valinor was hidden. Therefore, none of the messengers of Turgon came into the West and many were lost and few returned. So, um, yeah, Turgon's errand was not wholly successful. That was not successful. No, And I'm still just like the the audacity of the Valar to... They summoned, like, I, I get their intentions originally that they were like, hey, elves, come over to where we are and we'll keep you safe from Morgoth. But also, 
that's a lot to ask of, as we saw from the elves' tra- many travels and trials and tribulations getting to Valinor. Not all of the elves can go there. And then also you have the dwarves, you have the men, and these are the children of Iluvatar. Technically, the dwarves are the children of Aule. Um The adopted children of Iluvatar. <laughs> yes, the adopted children of Iluvatar. The Valar are just like letting them, be, you know, figure it out on their own mm-hmm. and just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I just want to know what the heck are they doing? They're obviously they're doing nothing. And I'm just like the audacity of the Valar to sit over there, keep their land hidden, keep themselves safe and neat and tidy over there. And their estranged <laughs> brother is causing all of this. And they're just doing nothing about it, yeah. even though they're the ones that have the most power to do anything. But then and except for except for Olmo. Olmo yeah. is doing the bare minimum. The bare minimum. But he yeah. is doing something. But they I, I don't know. Maybe it's just that they spent so long fighting Morgoth that now they're they're just utterly exhausted from like the whole Enulindale, like the whole singing and they would build something and he would take it down and they yeah. would build it and he would smash their sandcastle. Like maybe they're just tired of all that and they're like, we don't want to I'm gonna call BS on that because <laughs> a literal thirteen year old just a thirteen year old mortal went to go fight in yeah, this guys, war. Come on. You guys can do better. Like come on, Monway, like what are we doing over there? Not being merciful. That's what Oh my gosh. So and like I also understand that when the Noldor were leaving, there was that Doom of Mandos who told them, he was like, bad stuff is going to happen. This is not a good idea. Last chance to turn around and, and you know, save yourselves. Um, so, like, even they were warned, but, like, the Valar doing nada. Absolutely nothing to help the situation here. We have a lot of discussions about that. Yeah, we do. <laughs> And no answers. Discussions with no answers is is, is is what happens when we talk about why the Valar didn't, or why Eru didn't help more. Yeah. But, uh... I guess that's, I, I'm now remembering um, a couple guests, I don't remember specifically who, who brought up, maybe this was also Tolkien's um, self-insert reasoning for, like, his real-life experiences of, like, he's in World War One and he believes in God, but he's still witnessing all of these atrocities and God is doing nothing to stop it. So maybe that's all, you know, maybe that's that's also kind of a way of explaining it, that, like, there are a lot of things that happen in the world that people's um, belief systems and higher powers don't step in to do anything about. Um, and I guess you can say that's that's what's happening here. <clears throat> um, okay, we're on the last page. Woo! Meanwhile, Morgoth is curious about Turgon and Finn... Rod. Finn... Finn, Finn Rod, Felagund, yeah. Yeah, it's... Finrod. There we go. Yeah. It always just refers to him like it'll actually no, it doesn't always. It'll flip back and forth between referring to him as Felagund. And so I can't remember which one is Fin which one that goes with. Okay, which Finrod. Right? Anyway. <laughs> Finrod Felagund. Morgoth kind of knows that that Finrod and, and Turgon are out there doing something, but he doesn't know exactly what they're doing. Um 
It says, for they had vanished out of knowledge and yet were not dead. And he feared what they might yet accomplish against him. And he knows of the existence of Nargothrond, but he doesn't exactly know anything else about it. And he doesn't know anything about Gondolin. He's just kind of worried about these two. Yeah, so he so he is not sitting in wait. So it happens again, where everybody is just chilling, and they're like, oh, there's peace, we can chill. But not Morgoth, he doesn't chill. He doesn't sit and, and enjoy the peace. He just keeps working. Yes, yeah. It, it also kind of, like, summarizes this battle, this battle, this these skirmishes by saying that like even though he even though there was a great loss among the Noldor even though like two of like Fingolfin is dead two of the sons of Finarfin yeah um are dead um so he's killed off some some important people however Aside from Dorthonian and the Pass of Sirion, the Eldar are, were pretty much able to somewhat regain control over what they had lost. But yeah, the forges of Angband were full of labor. What else happens? Eventually, I think over in, oh, by the mountains or whatever, Fingon is outnumbered and come in and is having his own battle but he's joined by the ships of Círdan who come in and help the the elves of the Falas come upon came upon the host of Morgoth from the west and the orcs broken fled and the Eldar had the victory um let's see what else stuff about Hurin is a leader whatever <laughs> eventually <laughs> Whatever, I'm just skimming over all the yeah. people's names and mothers and sons of and daughter of. <laughs> However, this is this is how the chapter ends, okay? And it's literally, it feels to me like, so, so the Silmarillion we know was edited and pieced together by Christopher Tolkien, J.R.R.'s son. This part feels to me like Christopher's reading all these different chapters and notes and he's like, wait a minute, there's no piece connecting this chapter to the, like, There's no, we have to make one last connecting point. So it says, in that time also, the outlaws of Dorthonian were destroyed, as is told hereafter. And Baron, son of Bera, here alone, escaping, came hardly hardly into Doriath. And that just feels like the most, oh, by the way, the outlaws, they were destroyed, but Baron was the only one that survived. And now we'll talk about Baron, like flip the page. But it just felt like kind of like an afterthought of like, by the way, the outlaws were destroyed. <laughs> the end for them. Yeah. But Baron, what about him? Like he took the time to describe them. He even named Gordolim the unhappy. And then he's just like, and then they died. And also they were destroyed. Yeah. 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 We mentioned them for a paragraph and now they're gone. And now they're done. Gone. That That's it. The end. <laughs> Woo! Wow. Um, okay. What, I feel like I, I, I probably missed a lot. Was there anything that you wanted to, to point out? I don't think so. I really think okay. we did a very, very thorough uh, review of that <laughs> chapter. How do you feel? I I was exhausted reading it. Um, <laughs> like, it... At first, like, as I was reading the first half of the chapter, I was like, oh, this is, like, getting really cool. It's getting really exciting. I'm very intrigued. I'm drawn into the story. I'm following everything. And then, like, it just kept going. (laughs) And there was just more. And there's still more happening and more. And, like, I kept turning the page. And there was just, there was a lot. And it wasn't like 
he spent a paragraph, you know, waxing poetic about a blade of grass like mm. he'll sometimes do. Mm. Like every part of the page was taken up by something eventful. Yes. And, and it wasn't like one, you know, you know, one story either. Right. Like you said, it's just yeah. it's hard to follow and to stay sort of engaged when each paragraph is completely switching characters and then it's just like a line of you know a, lot, a list of names and you're like, and then they all die and then you're like well i learned yeah, all those and names and also they were nothing. destroyed <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um yeah. well thank you thank you listener <laughs> for sticking in <laughs> thank you callie for sticking in <laughs> and and discussing it oh my gosh um where can people find you on the internet Oh, so uh, mostly really just on TikTok. I'm Callie underscore underscore cosplay. Callie is spelt K-A-L-I. But like I also mentioned, we have our Voices of Out of the Podcast, which is available um, on YouTube because I do it in my uh, Lord of the Rings cosplay stuff. Um, but also on Spotify and where where all the podcasts are um, can be found, and that is me. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And also shout out to um, your Yavana cosplay oh. that um, I saw recently. Very cool, and I, it was also just exciting for me. I'm um, from a very selfish standpoint where I was like, oh my god, I know who that is. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I recognize that character. I know that one. Yeah, so yeah. That I'm, was pl- fun I'm planning on cosplaying my way through all the Valars, so hopefully you'll recognize. Oh my gosh! Them as as they come up, yeah. You have your work set out for you. It's so and much I, fun, though. I love it. Yeah, that's that's a challenge, but that's also such a fun creative challenge yeah. to um because we don't have we also don't have any um it's not like with the movies you know or anything where we have like visualizations of what the Valar are or what they look like aside from maybe like a handful of like quote-unquote official illustrations from people so like mm-hmm. cosplaying as the um valar is so it's like stretching your creative brain yeah because you get to imagine like that's what i'm terrible at is like coming up with like every character i read i'm like they just have a head <laughs> and <laughs> just maybe s- there's hair on it stick figures <laughs> running around yeah yeah that's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBNE.org. The cover is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. You can follow the podcast on social media at TalkingAboutPod. And you can follow me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and on Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash TalkingAboutPod. There are different level tiers depending on whatever kind of support you want to contribute. And let me be clear, literally any kind of support I am blown away by. But in particular, I am blown away by our newest sponsor of the podcast, Dave and or David. I am very sorry. Please let me know which you prefer to go by. But according to your information on Patreon, it's either David or Dave. Either way, I can pronounce those. So we're doing great so far. Anyway, thank you so much for deciding to become a patron and showing your support. I always appreciate it when people continue to find the podcast and continue to want to show that they like what I'm doing. Well, again, thank you for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Uh, uh, nothing, nothing. I, I am just feeling 
quite like, also overwhelmed by that chapter. That was that was it was good stories though, and and um, uh, yeah, just thank you so much for having me on, and uh, look forward to following you as you continue on this journey. It's it's really cool what you're doing, making like the Silmarillion sort of more accessible uh, to people. It's it's a lot of fun, and that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.